Come with me to the Old Testament book of Leviticus, chapter 11. We're going to read verses 44 and 45, and then we'll come into the New Testament in the book of 1 Peter, chapter 1. So we're in Leviticus, chapter 11, where God says, through Moses to ancient Israel, For I am the Lord your God, ye shall therefore sanctify yourselves, and ye shall be holy, for I am holy. Neither shall ye defile yourselves with any manner of creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. For I am the Lord that bringeth you up out of the land of Egypt to be your God. Ye shall therefore be holy, for I am holy. Now, First Peter chapter 1, we come into the New Covenant. Obviously, we're reading the Old Covenant in Leviticus chapter 11. In First Peter chapter 1, let's look at verses 13 through 16. And we're taught there and told there, Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind. Right? This is where we think. Be sober and hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. That's the series of messages we just came through. What's next? Hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ, which in the way of passing is also the proper title of the last book of the Bible, the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lusts in your ignorance, but as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation. Old English word means behavior. But as he which has called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of behavior. Because it is written, be ye holy, for I am holy. In almost the spring, February of 1988, I received a phone call at my home when we were living over here on the edge of town at the time. And it was from a board member. And he said to me, he says, Hey, did you hear what happened to Jimmy Swaggart? I thought there was some type of accident or you know, something bad had happened. Well, something bad did happen. But... And he started to describe the terrible things that had gone on. Jimmy Swaggart had been found with the prostitute. Now, my wife and I had supported Jimmy Swaggart's ministry. He no doubt had an anointing, and there's no doubt that he had a tremendous delivery. And his messages were always right, biblically sound. Honestly, I felt like I was gut-punched. I'm a lot younger at that time in 1988, obviously, and more impressionable than I am at the moment. And I'm trying to figure out how does this happen. I know now, but I mean, how does this happen? Particularly when some of the background, which you wouldn't know, is that there was an ongoing fight between Jimmy Swaggart and another well-known pastor, but maybe not well-known to you, named Marvin Gorman. And he was accused of sexual misconduct as well. Oddly enough, Swaggart hired a detective to follow Gorman to get evidence. And Gorman had a detective following Swaggart to get evidence of what he had heard. And they mutually brought each other down. A year prior to that, we had Jim Baker. I wouldn't say that his messages were right. I never listened to him very much, hardly at all. But he had a fall, had more to do with his finances and so forth. And he was brought into courts of law and everything. And I remember Jimmy Swagger talking about that incident a year earlier, that Baker was a cancer and had to be cut out of the body. Over the years, I have found it to be extremely discouraging when high-profile ministers 
Let me say, just for a way to express myself, the good guys. See, the false teachers we know by their messages. I, for one, don't expect much out of them because they're already teaching false. But when you have men like a Jimmy Swaggart and a Marvin Gorman teaching good biblical doctrine that fall into egregious sin, at that time, again, I felt like I was gut-punched. Only a few years ago, I think it was 2016, another man that I admired, Bill Gothard, you may not know his name, he was a teacher of pastors. Every year I went to his seminars. I still have all of his books in my library. I decided not to get rid of them because they are good books. They really are. But uh, 30 women or so brought accusations against him. Now, you have, you have one, you have two. There's reasonable doubt here that there's some type of an agenda When you have these women creating their own website for the abuse they suffer at the hands of one man, or at least that's the claim. So he steps down from ministry. And then most recently, as some of you are aware, if you read the papers, is Ravi Zacharias, a man, again, that I've admired for many years. I have his books in my library, and I don't plan on getting rid of the books. They're good books. Red flags went up when his association with certain academic credentials was questionable when he brought them down. So you say, well, why would you do that? Obviously, he was a bright man. There's no need to talk about Oxford and Cambridge. There's no need to talk about these things if you haven't really gotten a degree from them. But now, as posthumously, obviously, because he passed away last year, there's so many accusations, and an investigation which has been ongoing, and now I think it's concluded, has found conclusive evidence of much sexual misconduct on the part of Rabbi Zacharias. Now, I'm mentioning these things. I don't know that I've done this much through my ministry at all. But I'm mentioning these things because of my personal feelings of severe disappointment with men who we listen to and we read their books that we admire. I say to myself, how? Well, I already know how it can happen. But here's the thing that may not disturb you as much as it disturbs me. But I found there's one pattern with men like these, and there's so many more. I mean, there's many, many more. Sons of pastors who went into the ministry, like Jerry Falwell Jr. just stepped down some months ago from the ministry. Same type of a thing. R.C. Sproul's son, same type of a thing. And it goes on and on and on. But there's one thing that I find, and that's very disturbing, for me at least, more than the sin itself, is the fact that none of them come right out and say, I'm sorry I did it. Oddly enough, it was Jim Baker who wrote a book called I Was Wrong. Now, I don't know how much he's changed. Again, I don't pay much attention to these people, but the person that you wouldn't expect to come out and write a whole book on, I was wrong in my theology and so on, uh, we find the others not making ever a clear communication that they were wrong and what they did was wrong. Without going through all the details, a few of these men right here have made a positive declaration, I have done nothing wrong. My tendency is to want to believe them, but only God is to be glorified, and only God is to be adored and worshipped, not men, not man. And to give you some encouragement here, I have told you, I have no doubt that I could deny the Lord. I think that's what keeps me. I don't have any doubt that I could backslide. And with that knowledge is a constant prayer to say, God, please, the way I phrase it is this way, I don't want to be on that side of the ledger when my life is over. I don't want to be remembered that way. But here's the good news too. When I look at these things, and my tendency is to be discouraged, Then I remember this. Christ said, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. No matter what happens in the kingdom that is not approved of by God or for this matter, for that matter, by man as well. Christ is still building his church because we cannot harm God. And that encourages me. 
The fact is, we read here in the scriptures, we're going to read in just a moment. Every one of us, not just the preachers, but everybody, we're called to be holy. No different than ancient Israel or Israel in general, with the exception of the ceremonies, the tabernacle and so on. The character of God has not changed. Be ye holy, for I am holy. And that's the theme that I want to bring to you. Christ is going to build his church. And the very nature of the church, again, beyond all the labels that people put on things, the church belongs to Christ alone. And we sing that song. Christ alone is building the church. And I'm going to give you a little hint here, too. If people come up to you and talk about the failures of people, especially high-profile people, as it was brought to me many times, of course, always remember that it has nothing to do with Christ. Christ has not fallen. Christ is still holy. God is still sovereign, as we sang it this morning. God is still ruling. And this brings our hearts back up and gets us back on balance again. Regrettable failures, as regrettable as they are, I used to think to myself, again, in my younger years, how this would affect the church until I look at the scriptures. And I realized that you cannot hurt God, only people. And that's regrettable. In any case... As we just finished a series of messages, what's next, on the eschatology of the Bible, the prophecies concerning the end times, I have something here I'd like you to read with me from the book of Ephesians, chapter 5. And wedged in between verses 25 and 28, where the Apostle Paul is talking about Christian marriage, two people married in Christ, is something very important for us to see. Husbands, love your wives. Even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word. So the subject of marriage has an interlude and the subject of the church comes in. That's what we're reading now. He gave himself for the church, verse 26 now, that he might sanctify it. That's what we read in Leviticus 11:44, that he might set it apart. And cleanse it with the washing of water by the word. Listen now, or read with me. That he might present it to himself, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. Then back to the subject of marriage. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. So the subject there, briefly at least, is marriage. And in between, we learn something about you and I as believers in Christ. When Christ comes, he's coming for a church without spot or wrinkle. Now, of course, we understand that this can only be done by Christ. So I will not be talking about a sinless perfectionism in Christianity or followers of Christ. But I will be talking about holiness. In any case, the greater responsibility is on Christ. His mercy and his forgiveness and the fact that his blood cleanses us from all sin. But we all know here that the fact that Jesus' blood cleanses us from all sin is not a permanent hall pass to do now what we are not permitted to do under the old covenant or before a holy God. We all fail, but we don't have to fail big. And let me go back to these examples I gave you. And There's many, many more. And repeat something I've said to you just recently. What will keep you from falling in a big, big way is humility. Looking in the mirror and respecting the truth that the biggest problem in your life is you. And be humble about that. 
I'm an easy target. I've told you that many times. I'm a public figure. Everything I've said for 33 years in this upstate New York has been on the radio, television as well, in front of many of you here. So I'm an easy target to find imperfections. You're not so easy, but you have them. But you don't have to fall big, as I just mentioned, because if you apply humility to your life and realize the greatest problem you're fighting against is not even really Satan, as much as it is yourself, then you'll make progress because humility will always keep you close to the ground so that when you fall, or if you fall, it's not very far to the ground. So let's look at the fact that Christ is coming for a church that doesn't have spot or wrinkle. I am notorious. This is a brand new shirt. I'm notorious. I stay dressed up during dinner. We always have macaroni at the house on Sundays. It's an institution. And any guest speaker, that come, my wife would ask me one time, who's coming for What if they don't like macaroni? I said, make them a sandwich because we're going to be macaroni. And I'm Irish. My wife's the Italian, but I just enjoy it so much. And I can tell you, I, it may have, pray for me that it doesn't happen today. This brand new shirt doesn't have one single spot on it. And it'll be like the last bit, and just a tiny microcosm of sauce just finds its way, boom, and right in a place where you can see it almost every single time. And the funny thing about life is this. If I came with a big stain on one of my cuffs here, and if I had my jacket off and just my shirt, you would not be looking at all the clean parts, the 99% of the shirt clean. You'd be noticing the one spot. Hey, Pastor, did you know you have a spot? How often have you had that happen to you? Hey, you really got a spot? Hey, you got a spot. Yeah, I know I got a spot. I know I got a spot. But Christ is coming for a church that has no spots. And again, the greatest burden lies on our merciful, gracious Christ. But let us not forget responsibility lies on us too. Because when we sin against God, it is an act that is willful. Or I should say, when we willfully sin against God. There's a great responsibility that goes along with that. For you to go before God and say, God, I'm sorry. And I turn from this because we are called to be saints. He's coming for a church that has no spots or wrinkles. Let's look at this high standard. Still in Ephesians chapter 5, go back to verse 1. We are told to be followers of God. Now let me say something about men, pastors and ministers and so forth. It is ordained of God that we follow people. You say, I object to that. I had a man that told me many years ago, right to my face, I don't follow any man, I follow Christ. And that's dealt with in 1 Corinthians. The least spiritual person is the person, I don't follow any man, I follow Christ. We all follow men. We're ordained to follow men. That's why God gave these gifts and pastors and evangelists and prophets and teachers and so forth in the Bible. But we are to ultimately be followers of God. So we have both. We don't have one or the other, we have both. All right, that's the balance. Be ye therefore followers of God as dear children, and walk in love, as Christ also hath loved us, and hath given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. I don't have time to go through the Old Testament sacrificial standards, but God would smell the offering. That's what it says. But look at verse 3. But fornication and uncleanness or covetousness, now, here's the line that struck me not that long ago, a year or so back. Of course, I've read it. I don't know how many times, but it's been a lot. And all of a sudden, it's jumped out. The standard of God's holiness. Let me read it again. Verse 3. But fornication. Right? That's sex outside of marriage, but it's sex in any other way other than a man with his wife, a wife with her husband. Fornication covers a lot of ground when it comes to sexual sins. 
all uncleanness or covetousness. Look at this here. Let it not be once named among you. And certainly that is not the situation we have in the church all over the world today. The problem that most pastors have is containing it. God through the Apostle Paul, the Holy Spirit through the Apostle Paul says, not even one time should it happen. This is the call to be saints. Because here, look at the rest of the verse. Let it not be once named among you as becometh saints. Neither filthiness, nor foolish talking, nor jesting, which that, by the way, means kind of ribald, vulgar jesting, which are not convenient, but rather giving of thanks. For this ye know, that no whoremonger, nor unclean person, nor covetous man who is an idolater, hath any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no man deceive you with vain words. Presumably that would be a preacher. For because of these things cometh the wrath of God upon the children of disobedience. Be not ye therefore partakers with them. Because we are called to be saints. If you grew up in the tradition that I did, which was Roman Catholicism, there were so many, many saints. I remember a priest who was given the homily, you know, the sermon, many years ago when I was in grade school. And he talked about this great fight that went on in heaven. So, you know, you're listening, a fight in heaven. He said, yeah, he said, St. Michael, the archangel, calls St. Francis a sissy. And <laughs> we who grew up in Catholicism and a few of the mainline denominations were used to hearing special people called saints. While we, well, we weren't, we weren't saints. I'm no saint. But if you name Jesus Christ, you are a saint of God and you don't have to be voted in by a bunch of standards through a college of leaders in a church to say, now here's a saint. Him, no. And her, no. But him and her, yes. Because God called every single believer, regardless of your denomination, to be a saint. Let's read it. Romans chapter 1, verse 7. The epistle, the letter is addressed to all that be in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 2. Unto the church of God which is at Corinth, to them that are sanctified in Jesus Christ, or Christ Jesus, called to be saints, with all that in every place call upon the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, both theirs and ours. Called to be saints. This is found all throughout the Bible, and hopefully through this series of messages, we'll be able to enlarge upon this entry of what holiness is and what it is not. In fact, let me just quickly tell you this. Holiness is not going around with a frown on your face all day long giving the impression that you are being tormented by God. And unfortunately, when we read the lives of people who are called saints, this is what we find most of the time. I remember reading of the story, it's a true story, of a woman who at her age, whatever that age was at the time, she wasn't young, had this unbelievable complexion and skin just so clean, no wrinkles, and looked so much younger than she actually was. And when they asked her, what was the secret of this youthful appearance? She said this, holiness. Do you realize, and I'm sure that many of you don't, do you realize what bitterness does to you? How it ruins your health? How it affects the look on your face? When my children were, when one of my children were young, we had a woman in our church at the time who was exceptionally bitter woman. 
And it always showed on her face, on her countenance. And one of my children asked us when we went home, why does she always look so angry? You see, it's this man inside that reflects in the countenance. Bitterness will not only ruin your physical health, but it will show on your face and anger, habitual anger and fear. And we go on and on and on and on and on. Interesting, I've told you this before. In Revelation chapter 22, of all the people, it says, there's a list there, a short list of the people who don't make the kingdom. At the top of the list is the fearful and unbelieving. Let me say it in a positive sense. What holiness is the greatest antidote to anxiety. Holiness is the greatest antidote to depression. A clear conscience before God, first being washed in the blood of Christ, and then we live out the grace that's being given to us. We live a crucified life. What we need to understand is how this affects our health spiritually, mentally, and physically. If you want to prolong your life, live in the fear of the Lord. Live in the fear of God. Fear not in a trembling sense, but in a great sense of reverence, realizing what God could do should he decide to do, and then what God has promised, because he's merciful and he is love, it'll affect your health for the good. It'll affect your health for the good. In any case, it's not just special people that are made saints by some committee. Every one of you who named the name of Jesus Christ is called a saint. My grandmother suggested when we first started our work in the, what was in Yonkers, then in Bronx, and we called it Trinity, she said, gee, it would be nice if you could name it St. Raymond's. <laughs> and uh, I thought, yeah, that would be pretty good. But the truth of it is, I am St. Raymond. We had a man in our church, his first name was Nick. We're going to say, hey, it's St. Nick. <laughs> I don't advise you to go around town now and say, I'm St. Raymond. I'm St. Who's the pastor of church? It's St. Raymond. I don't advise you to do that. It won't be received very well. But in your mind, you must get used to the word saint and stop applying it to special people and apply it to yourself first church that my wife and i attended that word was used very liberally i mean in a good sense and when i first heard it it was so foreign who's he talking to these churches had no you know replicas or statues or anything hey saints and then it was pointed out to me as a young christian this is what we are called to be saints every single one of you and myself as well. But what is a saint? It comes from the Greek word hagias, which means, well, let me just, well, it means an awful one or a terrible one, but that implies that the spirit of God that's in us is something that is foreign to this world, odd to this world, different from this world. That's what sanctification is. We're in the world, we're not of the world, and this is the call of God. But it simply means a holy one. Now, we'll go further, as I said, explaining what holiness is and what it's not. This is just an introduction to a series of messages called Called to be Saints. And I would suggest that you start calling yourself to yourself by yourself, Saint Raymond. (laughs) To yourself by yourself is my suggestion because it needs to be ingrained in our minds the biblical terminology. This word, hagias, holy, is used 233 times. In the New Testament. That's a lot of times. And if you were an author and you were writing a book as God wrote the book, and you're over and over again emphasizing something, it means you're trying to drive home a point. Called to be holy. Every single member, everyone who is born again by the Spirit of God, by its very definition, is called to live a holy life. 
We don't have to go back there, but just keep in mind that very engaging, challenging statement about fornication and covetousness and all of these things. He could have added more. Let it not be once named among you. That's the standard. That's why it's called a high calling. It's a high standard. With respect to the messages I just finished, what's next? And the verses that we just read, that's the church that Jesus is coming for. Holiness, again, does not mean a holier-than-thou attitude. But you know what? As I've reminded you of this, told you this many times, the more you draw close to Christ, or closer you draw to Christ's likeness, the more you're aware of your own sin. And when you speak to others, you have to have a critical mind for judgment, but you're not a critical person because you understand the difficulties you face yourself in fighting and battling selfishness and sin. And so you speak in humble tones because you know what it's like to struggle against sin. But if you go someplace where people are always pointing out other people, you got a pretty good idea there that they don't have much of an idea of what it's like to struggle against your own sin. And so we look, listen to me, we look for venues where we could point out the fault of other people. Well, anybody who's high profile in any respect in this world, they're easy to pick on because they're high profile. But my suggestion is that you look in the mirror every day and say, it is me. Remember when Nathan came to David? He told him this story about the man who's wealthy and he steals the poor man's lamb. And David says, that man should be killed. And Nathan says, thou art the man. You're the one. Whoa. But see, David was a sinner, but he was humble. And he goes before the Lord, and he fasts, and he prays, and he says, against thee and thee only have I committed this crime, this sin. See, that's a saint. Perfection, no. But a perfect heart, yes. I've told people, strive for perfection so that you can achieve excellence. Because we never do anything perfectly, whether it's the music we play, the songs we sing, anything. It's never done perfectly. But if you try to do it perfectly, you do it with excellence. And if the intent of the heart is to please God perfectly, you're likely to hit excellence. You will hit excellence in pleasing God. You are called to be a saint. Not by a committee, once again, but by God himself. So get used to the term and apply it appropriately. We go and we look in the book of the Revelation Chapter 4, verse 8. And the four beasts had each of them six wings about him, and they were full of eyes within, and they rest not day and night, saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, which was and is and is to come. Do you realize that the songs we sang today were not picked out? Well, you wouldn't know that. They weren't picked out by me. And I'm always amazed of how songs are picked out that line right up with the message. As I'm singing, I'm saying, this is the song I would have probably picked to match up with the message. But that's a sign. Well, it's a sign to me that I'm lined up, that I'm in the right place. I'm on the right chapter on the right day. Holy. We just sang it. Holy, holy, holy. He's not just holy. And he's not just holy, holy. He's holy, holy, holy. Lord God Almighty, which was and is and is to come. We sang the Revelation song today. Isaiah chapter 6, verse 1. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord. And by the way, as we're passing that, let me just say this to you. 
All the evil that you see in the world and the things that we all complain about, you know, as far as government and what happened. Make sure you also see the Lord as we sang again today. God, you reign. You didn't elect him and I didn't elect him. And he's never going to have a chance to say, okay, you know what? Now that you guys got the message, can you elect me again as God? Never. Never. That's never going to happen. He is God. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord sitting upon the throne, high and lifted up. And his train, his entourage, filled the temple. Above it stood the seraphims. Each one had six wings. With twain he covered his face. With twain he covered his feet. You understand twain is two. And with twain he did fly. And one cried unto another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. I'm going to remind you that if you look for it, you will see the glory of the Lord here. Well, maybe not in Amsterdam, but you'll see it if you look for it. Man and Satan, of course, has tainted the creation of God, including us. But God's glory is still to be seen if you look for it. So look for it. And encourage yourself. As I just mentioned, now here's a good example to give you the analogy. Lift your spirit up from the depression and the clouds that sit on your head and see God. What is your problem today? We all have them. We all have problems. And look up above the clouds and see the Lord high and lifted up. See him also. You seeing the death of King Uzziah was a godly king and Isaiah was a bit discouraged as I mentioned to you before. But he said, I saw also the Lord. I will build my church. The gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Years ago, we were flying over Chicago and about to land, and up above these clouds, the sun was shining so brightly, just pristine. And then we were given the weather report as we came into O'Hare. The weather was inclement, and it wasn't good. But as we descended through the clouds, and it got darker and darker and darker, and then we were under this barrage of raindrops, I kept in mind the vision of the sun shining. And ever since, whenever I see a cloudy day, I always remember, up above the clouds, the sun is forever shining. Now let's change S-U-N to S-O-N. No matter what you're facing today, the S-O-N is always shining, looking down upon us, basically saying to you and to me, I'm willing to help and I'm ready to help, but lift up your eyes. Look up. For your redemption is getting very, very close. Very, very close. We are studying in the book of Genesis, and we have read that which many, many people know. All of humanity was created in the image and likeness of God. And we've gone through this on Wednesday. We'll go through it again, I'm sure. But in many ways, we are not like God, and we know that. We're not all knowing and everywhere present and so on. But in what ways, and I accented this Wednesday, in what particular way are we created in his image? And this is it. There is no other attribute, not even one, that's accented to the superlative three times. He's never called love, 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 for truth, 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 though he is these things. He's called holy, 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 and he made all of humanity in his own image, his own likeness. So that means all humanity has a call to holiness. But here's the thing. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So we come through that door, and then we are called to be saints, Holy ones. And I'll say one more time. If this message produces in this church a bunch of Pharisees 
You will be meeting with me very soon. I don't shy away from my duty because all of us here have failed God. All of us have sinned. And now as we humble ourselves, God lifts us up as we're called to be saints. Israel was told to be holy. Leviticus 19 verse 2. Speak unto all the congregation of the children of Israel and say unto them, Ye shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. But in the fourth year all the fruit thereof shall be holy to praise the Lord with all. Leviticus, that's 19.24. Here's verse 26 in chapter 20 of Leviticus. And ye shall be holy unto me, for I, the Lord, am holy, and have severed you from other people. That's Israel. But the same identical thing is stated in the New Testament. I've severed you. You say, well, I'm still in the world. Yeah, you are. But you're not of it. I've severed you from other people that you should be mine. Numbers 15, 40. That you may remember and do all my commandments and be holy unto your God. Jesus said, he that has my commandments and does them, that's the one that loves me. So when someone says, you can't know people, you can And we know it by the authority of God himself. Who has a Bible? Who reads it? And their hands go up in almost every church. But who is doing what they're reading? That's the one that loves God. And, of course, we had loving the brethren. Now we come to the church again. Romans chapter 11, verse 16. Speaking of our relationship to Israel, they brought the oracles of God. They brought forth the Messiah. For if the first fruit be holy, the lump is also holy. And if the root be holy, so are the branches. 1 Corinthians 7.34, there is a difference between a wife and a virgin. The unmarried woman cares for the things of the Lord, that she may be holy, both in body and in spirit. But she that is married careth for the things of the world, how she may please her husband. By the way, this is not go home and tell your husband, your wife. Let me tell you a true story. Let me do it this way. Man comes into my office years ago. No, the woman came into my office years ago and told me that her husband was no longer having any sexual relations with her. She was right to register a complaint. I said, I will speak to him. So I had him in my office. And I spoke to him, read the scriptures that you're not supposed to deny your wife and all of this, which is holy and righteous before God. He said to me, God has called me to be celibate. I said, but you're married. The Lord told me. I said, the Lord did not tell you. But you know what? Let me tell you something about this, especially in Pentecostal circles. Probably the worst of all delusions is when someone truly believes God told them to do something. And that's why we have the book. It's hard to shake that delusion unless they trust the book, the Bible, first. So in this case, I wasn't able at that point in time to shake that man's delusion. God told me. I had to go back to the wife and say, there's not much I can do but to pray because he's not responding to the words of God. And therefore, and here's the odd thing. We'll get into this as we get further into the messages. In his thinking, he was holier. But in reality, he was more sinful than he was before. Because he invented his own. Well, he thought God told him. His own form, brand of holiness, which is not holiness at all. It's sheer disobedience to what God has said. Holiness is, as I said, a great antidote or it is a prophylactic to anxiety and depression. And then, you know, if you take out the bitterness of your life and the anger of your life and who did you wrong and all that, you'll find there's a tremendous peace and a sense of confidence that you'll be able to say that I know him whom I have believed. And I am persuaded 
that he's able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day, the day of the Lord. There's things that attend the true holiness of God that are so great, and I hope that through these messages you understand it, that if people would only understand that God is not slamming his fist down as a demanding father saying, just do what I tell you to do because I said to do it. But he's saying, be ye holy for I am holy. And I, and I'm going to add now to this, and I will impart to you more of my spirit, more of my grace. And you'll bear the fruit of the spirit and so on. Love, joy, and peace. I always like to start with those three. I rarely get any further. More of love, more joy, more peace. I don't know if you've had, well, I know that many of you, most of you haven't had the opportunity to stand behind a pulpit like this and look at people's faces. And in some cases, see the most joyless bunch of people. They're not happy. And why are they not happy? It's not God's fault. God said, be ye holy, for I am holy. And God doesn't have a single problem in the world. And the more that we grow in him, we find the same exact thing. Yeah, you have problems. I got problems. But the older I get and the more I attempt to draw in close to God, the less I fear, the more boldness I have. And boldness is not arrogance. If you're sensitive to God, you'll understand the difference between boldness and arrogance. One of the reasons I can be bold when I'm reading the scriptures is because I didn't write it. God did. But even more so when you experience this in your life, the blessings, not seen, I mean, they're written out here, but the blessings that you experience are imparted to you in such a way that you are glad that you followed the Lord in his commandments. So don't be like this friend of mine who went and told his wife, God's called me to be celibate. That is a delusion after you've taken the vow. What this scripture was saying is that if a woman doesn't marry, she can give her full attention to the Lord. Well, the same goes for a man. If you stay single, you can give your full attention to the Lord. But if you get married, well, if you're married, you know what comes with that. I'll just simply say complications. Listen to this. The Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, verse 27. Ye have heard that it was said by them of old time... Thou shalt not commit adultery. But I say unto you that whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery with her already in his heart. And if thy, this is the Sermon on the Mount. And if thy right eye offend thee, pluck it out. Now understand, this is hyperbolic expression. If thy right eye offend thee, pluck it out and cast it from thee. For it is profitable for thee that one of thy members should perish. And not that thy whole body should be cast into hell. And if thy right hand offend thee, cut it off and cast it from thee. For it is profitable for thee that one of thy members should perish. And not that thy whole body should be cast into hell. I've told you before. And I have other intelligent reasons that I could explain in the reality of hell. But to keep it simple, how do I know there's a hell? Jesus said so. How do I know there's a hell? There's the blockade to keep us from going to it. But on this trip, beyond the cross, as we're called to be saints, he says, watch your eyes and what you see and your thoughts and what you're thinking and your hands and what they're reaching for, your feet where they're taking you. Because you are called to be saints. You are called to be holy. This is what a Christian is. And again, look it. If one of you were caught in a bad sin today and we all picked up stones to stone you, what would the Lord say? He who is without sin, pick up the first stone. 
Even the elders of Israel at the time, their conscience, and the Bible says this, that their own conscience bothered them. They couldn't throw a stone at somebody else. They knew to do so was to convict themselves or condemn themselves because nobody has lived perfectly before God. But again, that is not a permanent hall pass to say, well, it's all about grace. You're right, it is. These young people, some of whom I have in my class, are memorizing, have already memorized Romans chapter 6, and you would do well to do the same thing. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Whether it's fornication or covetousness or all of the above, the anger, the bitterness, the hatred, all of this stuff, racial prejudice, whatever it may be, the Bible says we are now dead to those things. And we are alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. And we are told to let our members now be the servants, hands and eyes and feet and everything, to be the servants of God. Servants of God. We ought to be Christians everywhere. We ought to be the most thankful people in the whole world. But you see, this seed of the word of God has got to fall on ground that is prepared to receive it. So the roots go down and it starts to bear fruit upward. If the heart is hardened through bitterness and anger and fear and all these things, and the seed goes down and intellectually you can acknowledge the truth of the book, the Bible, books you read, people you listen to, and not have it touch your heart. And here's the real odd thing, that the person speaking to you may not have had it touch his or her heart. It's an anomaly. So we have to be always digging into the heart, allowing the Holy Spirit. I shared this with you, and it still happens to me. Words are barely out of my mouth, and I'm already regretting what I'm saying. How much more later on when I realize what I just said. And I gave up a vulgar mouth many, many years ago. But I'm not going to say that one doesn't slip out here or there. I'm not going to say that. I'm just going to say that I've often wanted to tell people what I'm actually thinking, but we're forbidden. So we put that away too. When you're really angry, though, that's what you want to do. And God says, no, 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 no. And the mouth, it's rolling off your lips, at least in my case. It's rolling off my lips, and I'm already regretting that I'm saying this. Already regretting it. But that's what we want. Here's my guitar sitting over here, one of them. I used to make one constant mistake when I was playing classical guitar. And I was striving for excellence. We'll say perfection. Trying to hit excellence. And the same thing kept happening again and again and again. I got to correct that mistake. The note was not being fretted properly. We want to be able to live in such a way before the Lord that whatever other people may say, that's one thing. But the Lord will not have anything to say. When we read through the book of the Revelation, we see the churches... There's only two of them that get a commendation, and everyone else gets a reproof. Even the church of Ephesians, who had all the right doctrine, like some of the men that I mentioned, they had all the right doctrine, biblically sound, but in private, something else was going on. And you have to ask yourself today, does that describe you? What you are in the light is one thing, and what you are in the dark is something else? There's something wrong. We must now be in the light or in the dark only one thing, Kodesh la Yahweh, holiness to the Lord. Holiness to the Lord. Come with me to Hebrews chapter 12, and let's look at verse 14. Follow peace with all men and holiness, without which no man shall see the Lord. Let me stop there and just mention this. I fully understand, as we say it here all the time, either... Solus Christus, Christ alone. 
faith alone, grace alone. But I believe that these things have now been accented to a damaging position that preachers are no longer telling the people of God that you have responsibility before God. You can't just say solus Christus. You can't just say sola gratia. Yes, grace alone. But again, read Romans 6. Memorize it. That grace is not a static word. It's a dynamic quality that makes a change in your life. And in the course of time, you grow in that. And it's noticeable. People see it. That's the normal Christian life, as Watchman Nee wrote a book by that title. That's what it means to be a Christian normally. Listen again. Read it again. Verse 14, Hebrews chapter 12. Follow peace with all men. And that means as much as we can, as much as we possibly can. Be at peace with all men and, or rather follow, and holiness, without which no man shall see the Lord. And let me add this before I finish with these verses. In the study of logic or critical thinking, it is a logical fallacy to make your appeal to authority, in this case meaning man, to say, well, that's so-and-so. He wouldn't do those things. We are all flesh. And we are all prone to sin against God. So when God says, follow peace with all men and holiness, without which no man shall see the Lord, you take it to heart. You let the roots of that seed, of that verse alone, go down. You let the roots of the seed that says, now I've created you, and in Christ I've recreated you. Now you be holy. But God doesn't leave us on our own. This is where the grace of God literally comes in literally enters us and we're convicted of right and wrong maybe first we would say the big things then as you go along it's the little things those little foxes i always talk about the little irritations of life the little frustrations in life going back to marriage and i just mentioned this you're arguing over the toothpaste and when you really think about it i mean who cares you find that these little picky yoon things come up and then the holy spirit's dealing with you about that as well and this is growth in christ How much more if we don't have the gross sins put away? Follow peace with all men and holiness, without which no man shall see the Lord. Looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God. There it is. Lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you. And the problem with bitterness, but really many things about sin, springing up trouble you and thereby many be defiled. Think of sin in this respect, bitterness and anger and fear and all that. It's just like this virus that we've been battling for a year now. So we wear masks and, you know, I'm always putting alcohol on my hands and washing my hands and doing things that we should do anyway. Because contact with that means it's touched your body. And then we go from there. If you have a weak immune system, now you've got a disease and all this. What we need to see is the spiritual counterpart of bacteria and viruses and so on. When you're in contact with a bitter person, it can start to seep into you. And the nature that's in us wants to respond in kind. I'm admitting to you. If someone approaches me disrespectfully, I want to be equally disrespectful. No, I want to even be more disrespectful. It rubs off. And then you have to say to yourself, whoa, I do not want this spiritual disease. It could be in your own home. I'm sure that it is. Or the place where you work. Or it could be the church you attend. You don't want this on you because the bitterness, it says here, won't just trouble the person. It'll trouble everybody around them. Look at verse 16 if you're with me in Hebrews 12 as we finish. Lest there be any fornicator or profane person as Esau, who for one morsel of meat sold his birthright. 
For ye know how that afterward, when he would have inherited the blessing, he was rejected. For he found no place of repentance. That means the opportunities to turn around and repent were now over. Though he sought it carefully with tears. Big, big subject there. That we see Esau saying, what have I done? I want it. God, God, I want it. God is saying, it's too late. Where the lines of demarcation are in individual lives, I cannot say. I don't even know where they are in my own life. I can only say this. If the cross is the center of a circle, and here's the circumference, and here's the cross, and I'm walking this way, away from it, away from the word of God, away from obedience, away from all these things. I don't know at what point in time I've crossed over the line. We've used that expression, right? This time you crossed the line. And so what we want is this. Now, there's a distance between me and this physical cross here, right? And I may be going ever so slowly, but the intent of the heart is to reach... Again, let me use the word perfection. We don't reach it, but the intent. I'm heading in the right direction. That's what needs to concern us. Not how far can I go away from salvation and all of this here and still be saved. How much alcohol can I drink and still be saved? I'm not against, I don't think the Bible is against alcohol in general because Paul tells Timothy, drink a little wine, oinas, for the sake of your stomach and your oft infirmities, your frequent infirmities. So alcohol has medicinal purposes. But how often do we hear people say, that's a medicine, I've medicated myself. When they're blind, stinking drunk, that's all it is. Drunkards don't make the kingdom either. And now we got this fine line to walk. So here it is. Again, it's the intent of the heart. Living to please God. And if we find something that we think is displeasing to God, then we put it away, we jettison it. Because this is the intent, to reach the kingdom. Which I remind you, in my perspective, and from my point of view, it doesn't seem like it's very far away. Not very far away at all. You are called to be a saint. And I hope that today your spirit is prepared to receive that truth. I hope that your mind intellectually is now ready and prepared to put away all that you've learned in the past, that saints are special people, and you're not one of them. I don't know who's the biggest sinner in here, I could take a guess, but honestly, I've always felt it was me. I always felt God chose me, not because I was better than all of you, but because I was worse. And if I backslid, I'd still be worse than all of you. But then again, that's what the Holy Spirit does. It makes you feel, on the one hand, the pangs of sinning, and on the other hand, the hope that it doesn't have to stay this way, because you're called to be a saint. Let's get used to that term. And don't tell your friends. <laughs> and certainly don't tell your enemies. Not yet. Let's pray. Let's bow our hearts, bow our heads. Now, I'm going to ask you, I rarely ask you to raise your hand, but occasionally here. How many here today, you're born again, you know it. So you are a saint. I said, oh, get out of here, Pastor Ray, I'm no saint. Yes, you are. You've been washed in the blood. You've been redeemed. You've been forgiven of all your past. All of it. Now it becomes incumbent on you, on me, to strive to enter in at the narrow gate. It becomes incumbent upon me to work out my own salvation with fear and trembling. And all of this comes out of the New Testament and will be forever till we meet Christ, our calling. You're called to be saints. You are a saint. Now, with our eyes closed and our heads bowed and our hearts bowed before the Lord, let's just continue to go forward.
I told you, I'm trying to find ways where I got to go further with the Lord. Challenging myself. That's in addition to what God is showing me. To go further. And I pray for that. That God this and God that. And help me. Help me. Let's pray today that God, you pray for yourself. God, help me. Say that. God, help me. Help me to go further with you. And we have to be told to love each other because we don't do it naturally. Father, we come before you today and every single person who's raised their hands, every single person watching by way of the live stream, every single person listening by way of radio who's truly born of the Spirit of God is a saint by biblical definition. We've been washed in your blood and made to be holy. You have severed us that we may be yours. Call us by name. Help us today, God, by your grace, by your spirit, by your mercy, by your love, by your word, by prayer. To grow in grace. Oh God, help us. Oh God, spare us. Because your church will never be destroyed. Never. But we don't want to be a part of those who have treated you lightly. We sang it earlier, God, you reign. And we sang earlier, you're all that I want. God, only you can show the hearts of your people where that may not be exactly true. Help us, God, to arrive at the place where you truly are. Not only all we want. But you're all I need. You're all I need. Jesus is all I need. We give you praise today, God. We give you glory. We give you honor. For you are truly great and greatly to be praised. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. We thank you, Father. That you're hearing us today. Keep us humble. Keep us low to the ground. We bless you. I'm so glad that Jesus lifted me. I'm so glad that Jesus lifted me. Love lifted me. One, nothing else could help. Love lifted me. So we finish another Sunday. One more mile closer to the kingdom. Let's make this week count. So Father, we close these services today. A few more days we'll be assembled again to study your word and pray. Before you know it, it'll be the Lord's Day again. Help us, God, to measure our days that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. Cause us, God, to know how frail we are so that we can depend on you. And remind us all week long to love you with all the heart, all the strength, all the mind, all the soul. And then to love one another as well, proving that we love you. I pray all that today, Father, in Jesus' mighty name. Amen? Amen. Amen. Amen.